This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowships. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. The title of our message today is called The Patriarch, The King. Listen carefully now. All of creation shook on that very day. That very day the Lamb was slain. Then redemption came to anyone who would call upon His name. With power and strength you broke these heavy chains. And salvation reigned. And with a shout of praise, we lift our voices. King Jesus, you are victorious. You have conquered death with this life of love. King Jesus, you are victorious. You paid the final debt for all of us. Yes, King Jesus, you are victorious. In our world system of kings, there is someone who's actually higher. And in our system of kingdom, of God, there is someone who is higher. And this is a very, very significant point to understand the structure that God put together on earth that the people were begging for. But I'm going to use the British monarchy as an example. Even though every kingdom that has ever been known in the world has been forced to answer to one person. Do you remember who that person is, whether it was David, whether it was Queen Elizabeth, Henry VIII, who did these kings answer to? Certainly wasn't the people. They were not into democracy. It's always the prophet. The order goes prophet, king, and then the kingsmen, and the people. So when God established the original system, who was it that came and picked out, for example, David and poured oil on David when he was, uh, he was not considered a child? Because after your bar mitzvah, as you know, you're not considered a child. And for God to take action after David's bar mitzvah is by Hebrew law. For example, when Jeremiah said, I'm only a youth, I cannot speak, he just received his bar mitzvah, according to Jewish scholars. God never moves on an anointing until after the bar mitzvah. Because it changes authority. That's why Jesus could not serve God directly with Joseph still being alive. It would create a conflict. So all of the stories that you hear in the Bible about Jesus is his mother is with him. Because he was responsible as the eldest son to care for his mother because Joseph had already been taken home. Because no man can serve two masters. So even God precisely kept the order of his own created structure. So who came to David and poured a cup of oil on him? Samuel. Samuel. Who was Samuel? Samuel was the most powerful man in the world. We don't view prophets like that today. We view prophets as wax. Crazy guys. Seriously. That's the average attitude of a prophet today. These guys are nuts. Going around proclaiming, you know, in 2012, you know. We look at them as quacks. They're at the bottom of the pile. That is not originally how it was designed. 
God gave his people a prophet. The prophet picked the king. But under the case of Samuel, of course, God told him who the next king was going to be. And then he had to take his holy oil and go pour it on David's head and anoint him with oil and announce to him he shall be the next king. Can you imagine what this 16-year-old kid, that's what the Jewish scholars believe his age to be. I don't know where they get that. But can you imagine this 16-year-old, in our days, kid being anointed with oil and then being told you're going to be the next king. And there's only been one king in the whole world. And that one didn't work out so well. And at the time of his anointing, it still wasn't working out so well. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. The two relevant points of kingship. Satan is a master manipulator and replicator. He gets all of his ideas from God. Now, I don't know if you believe this statement or not. If you don't, I don't really care, actually. Because it is so thick through the scriptures. And so perfect through the scriptures. So anointed through the scriptures. That it almost shows up in one form or another, in every single verse in the entire Bible. And it is the simple, simple truth of God's kingship is always prevalent and around us 24 hours a day, whether we turn the world emergent, whether we turn the world into democracy, whether we turn the world into a, a weirded out monarchy, what, no matter what we do to the structure of God, it still is in full on power around us. And what's going to happen is in the end times, God's going to show the people, I never changed. My system never changed. It's all still the same. Kingship is Jesus' role, King of Kings. Well, who's above him? Abba. If you look at the 43 Hebrew names of God, there are no Greek names of God. They're only Hebrew. There's a reason for that. Jesus has 225 names and the majority of them are Greek. He got all of the 43 plus a bunch more. He's the Abba. The Abba is over the king. The Father is over the king. The patriarch. So we're connecting some dots here that are very significant dots to the patriarch Abba the Father. Very significant. Because we're going to see it all shown to us in perfect colors in the end times. As soon as a king sits on his throne and stops sitting on his horse, the country has fallen. Do you understand that principle? Someone explain that to me. As soon as the king stays on his throne and stays off his horse, the country, the nation, has fallen. Up to 1968, it was a requirement, unspoken requirement, that the president had to serve in the armed forces. Not anymore. Today, you can serve in your local pot party and be President of the United States. Satan is reversing all of the requirements, but he himself will demand them in the end as well. Two points of kingship. 
But before we get into that, I think we should take a slice at uh, the Hebrew definition. So I, I need some uh, Hebrew workers here. And I'm going to need uh, four young Hebrew workers if I can have four. No? Yes, no? Okay. Okay. Phoebe, do you remember what this is right here? No? Does anyone remember? Okay. Fence. That's the fence. And what's this one? Ocean. Yep, water. And this is a new one. Yeah. That's called a goad or a goad. And that's what they use to smack the backside of cattle. Get them going. And then what's this here? Person. Yeah, it's the head. Okay. So, Tori, you can be the fence. Okay. And you can be the water, Phoebe. And you can be the rod. And then you can be the head. Okay. So, the Hebrew word for king is fence, water, rod, head. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay, so what's the fence do? Do any of you remember what the fence does? Or what a fence is supposed to do, anyway? It's supposed to keep things in there. Yeah. And does it help bring protection? Yes. yes. Okay. And what about water? What, what's water for? For drinking it. Okay. Do we need it? Yes. Can we live without it? Uh-uh. No, we really can't. And then what about the rod? Ugh. Get spankings with that or what? No! It's not cattle with it. But don't we get spankings with it too? Uh-uh. Oh, I, I think we do. Uh, we get spankings with the paddle. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the head for? What do we need that for? To think. Okay, to think. To see. See. Speak. Speak. All of the five senses, right? So, Hebrew means a strong fence of authority that leads. So, kids, it's like having your daddy be strong and leading with his strength. Okay? Fence, water, rod, and head. Okay, <clears throat> are some of the Hebrew symbols becoming a little familiar? Well, we decided uh, yesterday we're going to have a Hebrew service, spoken in Hebrew. And uh, it's a Jewish custom called Passover. Not going to happen right away. We're going to wait till the actual, you know, event in fact, what we're going to try to do is integrate a lot of the Jewish customs into our little fellowship. So as they have certain worship services, we will have those services here and bring in a lot of the original customs, why they did it, explain it, whatever, because God uses customs, manners, in the same way he uses spoken truth. To him, there are no difference. So if you can take customs and mannerisms away from a culture, then you can deceive the people. But if you leave customs and manners in place, you can't deceive the people because when someone's lying to you with word, you can still be told the truth through manners and customs. So Satan's really got this thing all twisted up. So he's getting our manners and customs of families and culture to be just nothing. In fact, he wants it all modernized. Oh, that's just, you look at some scriptures and they go, oh, that's just customs back then, or that was just culture back then. That has nothing to do with today. And that's how they are erasing the potency of the word of God. But king does not mean God. 
although it is one of the attributes Jesus is carrying to this very day. He is presently king of kings. When they tacked that onto the cross, it was not by accident. They didn't come up with this statement and one of the soldiers go, this would be cool. Way to mock him. It was the truth. They heard this being spoken. He was the king of kings. Any good mocker uses the truth, not a lie. And they say it in such a way it sounds mocking. So to mock God, you just use his truth in a very trivial way. And it mocks him. It's kind of like listening to your dad and then saying, na, 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 na. That is a, it's a huge insult to the father. By literally saying the truth, but saying it in a mocking way, degrading way, bringing him down a few notches. That's what the world is doing to God and the King of Kings. His whole cross experience was mockery. But everything they did in mockery, it was even warned in the Old Testament, it was going to happen. They were fulfilling truth, even in their mocking. Satan really cannot get away with anything without it tying in to something that God said, I told you so. I told you that would happen. Now, Satan cannot have an original thought. Now, when, when that finally sunk in a few years ago to me, I mean, that was mind-bending to me. It, I could not get my mind around that truth that Satan actually cannot have an original thought. Nor can man. Every thought you have is either fed by the living God or the living enemy. Every thought you have. I don't know if you've thought it through, but that's what a fiery missile is. He's not really throwing missiles on fire at me yet. They are thoughts. Now, that's a hard concept for a lot of Christians to, uh, a lot of them even to believe that the enemy can actually throw thoughts at people. But for some reason, when the person reaches for their cell phone and they're listening to Grandma, who's in another country, they don't even think twice about how that thought got from that country to this ear. They don't even think about it. Technology can replicate Satan. Images. He actually can throw graven imagery into your mind. And there's Christians that say, well, where in the Bible does it say that? But yet they'll pick up their cell phones and get an image from a friend in Russia within 10 minutes. An image. Oh, well, how did it get there? Has anyone thought that through? They say there's an average of a billion images in a, in a, in a given room. That your cell phone can pick up. That's why a lot of the health nut people are a little bit concerned about the number of messages being sent through these cell phones. The point is very simple. Life is not what you see. It's what you don't see that is true life. That's what faith is. In God's realm, it is bringing the unseen into the seen. Faith is the substance of things not seen. Satan works off of that same concept. So you watch a movie, a horror movie, or at least an advertisement of one that slipped by on the television as you're watching television, you go, where did they come up with this stuff? I'll put my, 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 my name out on the limb on this one. I believe the average horror flick that you see 
you will see that happen someday. In Satan's own colors, of course. Because he is he's not just interested in, in putting media out and interested in making $500 million off of a film. He's interested in actually planting seeds through graven imagery. Now, God does the same thing. So this is not something Satan come up with. He is watching and has watched God the Father, how he has set Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, up, and how Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, is going to come and take care of these wannabe kings. He's, he's watched all this for gazillions of years. Everything in God's heaven is about imagery. He was so meticulous about making sure that the edges of certain things were not just gold, but a certain depth of gold. And a certain kind of gold. He is meticulous about his details, his imagery. When you go to heaven, you are going to be overwhelmed from the streets of gold to the 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 1,500 square mile city called the New Jerusalem that's going to look like, make the crystal cathedral look like a pot bottle. This is how detailed God is on, on meticulous details. Imagery. Telepathic? You won't even need to have ears. Will we have ears in heaven? Probably. I don't know. If our glorified body is going to have them or not. Probably. But I will tell you this. You won't need to listen to Jesus. His mind will be in you. Because it says in Philippians 2, 2, right now his mind is in you. But we also have a fleshly mind that's like an antenna so like on my little receiver here, I got two little antennas, and one antenna is pointing one direction, another antenna is pointing another direction. It's to pull in my voice, because there's no wires connected to that unit. Well, the fleshly mind is an antenna to the thoughts and imagery of Satan. The other antenna is my spirit man, Jesus Christ living in me through the Holy Spirit, and it picks up thoughts, images from Jesus Christ. That's as simple as I can make man. And we think we can run around and come up with an original idea, sign our name to it, and go get it copyrighted, and then get it published and make a million bucks off of it? It's a deceived person that thinks like this. No human has original thought. No demonic being has original thought. No angel has original thought. The only one who has original thought is the Abba, patriarch. And Jesus himself said, when you hear me speak, someone finish the verse. You hear my father speak. Whatever you see me do, it is not I who does it. Someone finish the verse. It is He. When you see me, you see the Father. All words from Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes along and goes, Well, I just bring to remembrance the words of Jesus, which are the words of the patriarch. Bottom line is, it's all about the patriarch who is going to empower the king of kings with sovereign control. When he comes back, he will be in full color. The color of his horse, the gold around the edge of his saddle, his hair, fire in his eyes, Drawn sword, every detail is prophetically put in place for color, imagery. 
So you wonder why Satan is the king of Madia? Media? Imagery? You shouldn't have to think too long on it. He is the king of graven images. They are godly images put in the grave. Putrefied, made dark. When God said, that's not how it's supposed to be. So here's what we got. Acts 13.21 says, Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. Now 40 years is considered a Jewish generation. Not 80, not 70. They could have lived to be 900 but to find out how many generations you live through, you've got to divide 40 into it. It is a manner, a custom, and the law. 40 years. Okay? There's a reason why God is saying 40 years. I will give you this leader for just one generation. We have to discover why. So here's our verse that we just read. Then they asked, and the Greek word for asked is actually begged in this passage. They're not saying, Oh, dear Lord, thy God, thy Father, please deliver us a king. Well, where did they get the idea of a king? Yeah, from Babylon. You see, Satan was already into this thing. He knew exactly what the people liked to have. They liked to have some ruthless Leaders saying, it's all about me. Build the tower, it's all about me. Because what is God? It's all about me. God, if you look at his descriptions, is incredibly selfish. Me, 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 me. And you know what? It better be about him. He's the patriarch. And so Satan's like, well, huh. he tries to take over the me, 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 me. And he just, it just was eating him, if you remember. And Ezekiel tells us is that he tried to come before God. Think of the arrogance of this. He wasn't even in the Trinity. He was a part of the Trinity of the three angels, the archangels. He had to go two layers up. He didn't want Jesus' spot. He didn't want to be king of kings. He wanted to be the patriarch. And so he just bypasses Jesus and he just approaches, you know, God and whatever it is that went on between the two of them. God's reserving much of it between him and Satan. But we do know Satan tried to seize the position of the patriarch. And God removed him like a bolt of lightning. So the imagery of the lightning bolt and Satan that you see in rock albums and wherever else comes from that scripture. So, they were looking around at a standard that was established in heaven, but Satan stole it and tried to bring it on an earthly level, and God originally had zero intentions in establishing a kingdom like man on the earth. He originally had this established as the, the patriarch in heaven, the king is in heaven, he will send the king, the only king, the king of kings, back to earth, or actually to the earth, for the first time to accomplish his final mission. And the people were like, no, 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 no. We want to be like the Babylons. Babylonians. So they started begging God for this earthly king when it wasn't time for Jesus to come yet. Well, God said, okay. <laughs> it's an interesting thing about Christians and even non-Christians. You beg God long enough, he's going to give you what you want. Then he's going to use what you begged for, the new car, the new house, the rich account, the whatever. Whatever you beg for, 
He's going to let that be the teacher because you won't listen to him because he already gave the answers to you in the scriptures. So, they begged and he gave. So here's what we have. They gave him a, he gave them a king, a sovereign controller. And this give actually is not the English give that we're used to seeing. It's an empowerment. It's like a king taking his sword and touching the shoulder of someone and saying, okay, I will empower Saul. So it takes a patriarch to empower, and that is usually passed down, as we're going to learn later on down the road, that is usually done through a king. And gave him Saul, which means actually defined out, there were two names for Paul in the New Testament, Saul and Paul. Whenever, like I said before, whenever God decides to give a new name, one of the names of the original name typically has a bad taste in God's mouth. Saul means destroyer. In fact, as you get in the definition of this name, it's, it's extremely disturbing. So me just reducing it down to Edomite, which is destroyer, is kind of cheap. So God's saying, here, I'll, I'll give you a king. And I'm going to show you what an earthly king who refuses empowerment, like my son does accept empowerment, I'm going to show you what it will do to you. And that's what's happening. So this clan that he is from actually means weapon or bow. So I'm going to give you a destroyer with a bow? That doesn't sound so good. And the tribe, which is simply an offshoot. And then Benjamin is actually means right hand, which is a cool name. It's a cool definition. So here God actually picks a king from the right hand of the tribe of Benjamin, which is the right hand of the patriarch. And that's very interesting to me. So he picks one from the right hand, and he says, okay, now I'm going to leave this, this king intact for 40 years. And at the end of the 40 years, he's going to fall on his sword going to kill himself but he didn't tell him that in, in advance but that's as we know how the story unfolds so one complete generation so here's our verse summary the people of God begged for a sovereign controller so God empowered a destroyer like a weapon of the clan of my right hand for one full generation God's got a thing about generations. So you want to know why God leaves certain leaders intact for as long as they are? And you look at some of these leaders and go, why doesn't God just take them out? God has a thing about generations. It's a fulfilling element of the prophecies. I can't break it down any more than that because that's God's business. But God does have a thing about the generations. So, our next verse is, After he had removed him, Saul, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, the man after my own heart, who will do my will. In the end times, who's first with kingship? Satan or Jesus? Satan. Satan. On the earth, who was first? Satan. Yeah, Nimrod. And they had tons of kings after Nimrod. Self-proclaimed kings. Not anointed by a prophet. So then they had to have a false prophet. What are, what's the trinity of the Antichrist? Someone help me here. There's a trinity. There's three of them. 
Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. See, even in his system that he uses, he knows he cannot do what he does without a prophet anointing him. Prophet happens to be a woman. A whore, as she is called in Revelation. She supervises churches all over the world. Now, whether it's going to be an actual woman or a religion that is symbolic for a woman, that's yet to be seen. Okay. Now, in breaking this down, same verse, after he removed, removed means to unseat. So, it's a beautiful illustration of the actual picture that's being painted for us, is God unseats Saul, and he puts David in the seat. Now, there's a long story about Saul chasing David, being threatened, and blah, 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 blah. That is very prophetic. But the point I want to make in this is that if you study this story very, very carefully, you actually are going to understand the book of Revelation when you're done. The very dynamics that go on between Saul and David is the dynamics of Revelation. The warring and the fighting and the threats when in reality, David is king because God says the king of kings is already up here and I am going to use you as a representative of the king of kings. And I'm going to bring a prophet to come and commission you under that definition. And he did. Whereas the worldly kings were not under any prophetic anointing, so therefore they had to come up with false prophets. So with Nimrod, he came up with his wife and made a statue of her, put her in the center of Babylon, and once a year, everyone had to worship her once a year. This female prophetess. And she was the very first illustration and demonstration and picture of the end times horror that is spoken of in the book of Revelation. They're all connected. God's actually talking to us here about things to come. Raised means to awaken, so God unseated Saul and he woke up David. He had the prophet come to him and pour oil on him and David probably was like, what? Pick my brothers, they're great warriors. No, God picked you. You see, up to recently, kings went to battle. They didn't sit on their thrones when a battle took place. They got on their horses. They got in their full color. Then when you got on the battlefield, there's still two kinds of kings. One that sat on the hill in their arrogance and watched their men do the work for them. And the other type that went right out in the middle of the front line and fought. I'd rather serve a king that's on the front line. That's Jesus Christ. He is coming back to fight our battles. It's a beautiful story of what a real king is. And God is about to wake up this young lad to see he is the representative of the king of kings. The Lord of lords. Which means owner. So David means vision or heart of God. King is sovereign controller, like we said before. Testify means to bear record. So it's actually, this is all being written down for some reason. Well, one, we're preaching on it today. And two, it is also for prophetic reasons coming down the road. Said is lego, which means to set a course. And then found is to obtain. It's not just go, oh, there it is. It's to take ownership of. Do something with. Then Jesse means to stand out. And then after means to follow in excellence. Heart is thoughts. Interesting thing. I know there's a lot of people that believe the Bible talks about feelings. The Bible does not talk about feelings. We have used the term feelings in translations for the term heart, for the term uh, emotions or whatever, 
Emotions are simply hormonal reactions or empowerment to thoughts. So when you're having a thought and your hormones are out of balance, for example, or whatever it is that's going on in your body that's causing your whole system not to work with each other, you feel kind of weird. When in reality, God comes back to and says, renew your mind, not your emotions. So the true definition of heart is actually thoughts. And he has created our bodies to support those thoughts or reject them. I feel weird about that. So it's like little warning signals in your, your body, the way God designed us. So all, of course, is the whole. And the will means decree, declaration, or doctrines. Now putting this, all, this verse all together, here's what we got. After God had unseated the destroyer, he awakened the man that bears his heart, his thoughts, and his vision. You have the two things that the cell phones pick up. Image and words, thoughts. Some people actually believe the imagery is what creates the words. But in the scriptures, you do see the two together that actually define the very being of God. So thoughts and vision. To be their sovereign controller in which he bore record and said, I have obtained David, my ownership, the son of the patriarch that stands out, a man who will follow me in excellence, in thought, who will do indeed the whole of my doctrines. See, when, when David was in doubt, and the Psalms are filled with his doubt, his confusion, his wondering, his questions. When in doubt, when under attack, God wanted someone who would be a man who will follow me in excellence in thought. When all else is failing around you and every hormone is screaming against you and someone else's hormone is screaming against you, it boils down to what is true. Is this true? Or am I being lied to? Not, i got to do something to get rid of this feeling. Feeling all day long. Fight feelings all day long. You go nowhere. You will be in a vicious cycle. Until you're worn out. Well, David is no different than anyone else. God wanted a man who would finally fall back on the thoughts of God. The truth of God. Instead of these lies that were going to be thrown at him. God's thoughts are our doctrines. It's how that works. Next verse says, this will wage war, these will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, because He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And those who are with Him are the called and chosen and faithful. One of the most controversial verses in the entire New Testament, either by those who believe in predestination or those who do not believe in predestination, in other words, there are those that believe that God chooses you, and there are those that believe you choose God. I am not of the belief that you choose God. That puts God in, uh, that puts us in a God position. Plus, here's the primary reason why I will never believe that, and do believe in predestination, is because it is the patriarch who picks the bridal member for his son. The son does not pick his bride. He may find a, a filly, a young lady, that he thinks is beautiful and he wants as his bride and whatever. You see lots of that in the Bible. But I'll tell you what. That son had to go to the father and say, Dad, you know, the farm next to us. Is this? And the father knows what's going on. 
he may have already swung a deal with the farmer next to him. They may have already traded goods. They may have decided this when they were babies. Oh, come on. Yes. And it's practice in a third of the countries to this very hour. But that doesn't go with human rights. So we, we have human rights and everyone has the power to choose. So Satan camouflages this Hebrew truth with a lie that says you have the choice to be a bridal member or not. Let's just take this thing all the way back to heaven. How long has God existed? Forever that way and forever that way. Okay? How long has Jesus existed? So that would be A.D. 0.1 A.D.? How long has he existed? Forever that way and forever that way. Hebrews 13.8. Okay? How long has the Holy Spirit existed? When Adam and Eve came, of course. Forever that way and forever that way. How long has Satan existed? We don't know. But we do know he was created. God put him in his place. Okay, so here you have the Trinity that's forever that way and forever that way. They always have been. Hebrew law requires the firstborn male son to be married. It's the way the patriarch passed royalty on through the generations. So, the patriarch picks a bridal member for the son. And he picks a woman that will not squander away the inheritance of the patriarch. So who he picks is significant. So God forms this planet. He does all of what we read about in creation. It's some cool stuff. And then after he's done, he creates... Uh, Adam, and he creates Eve? Yes or no? Nope. The Hebrew word is form. Adam was created from dirt. God picked up some dirt and did whatever it is that he did. And from that life, because his life was in the creating of the planet, the Spirit breathed life into this dirt. And Adam was created. Then he took Adam and put him inside of a garden that was already created. Because he was on the outside of the garden. And God put him inside the garden alone and put him to work. Why do men always have the impulse to work when they get up in the morning, or should? It's because it's in their creation. And he's doing his job. And all of a sudden, he just he comes to this point of realizing he's alone. It's like, Jesus, Abba, where's my bride? Oh, your bride's coming, son. The story of patriarchy in the King of Kings and the Holy Spirit is in creation. And so, he's not complaining to God. He's just saying, I think I've come to this realization. I'm not complete. So God causes a sleep reaches in and grabs a rib from creation and forms woman from existed, existing creation. Then he wakes him up and he sees this beautiful bride and he 
sees she is bone of my bone. She's, she's flesh of my flesh. She is, whoa, W-O-E dash M-A-N. Weakness taken from man. She was literally taken from the weakest part of man, which is right here. I was taught that in karate. If you wanted to take a guy down, you, you hit him here. Not here, not here, not here. You just make him mad. Right here. You can take a long... You will put him out if you take him down here. Well, God took a rib out of the weakest part of man and said, She is woe. She is your weakness. Not she's lesser than you. She is your weakness. Now, Eve, you need to stay under his arm to complete his weakness and let his strength protect you like a strong fence. Let him be your king. Let him be your priest. Let him be your protector. Let him be your provider. Well, I've got rights. I don't need a man. Well, that came just a few years later, which is why God wiped, literally, the face of the earth clean. The men were not protecting their weakness, their woe. So, God says, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the cattle pen. And they did. <laughs> right from the get-go, we had brothers fighting for control, just like Satan was trying to steal the throne of God. And they multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. Why did God want them to be fruitful and multiply? Just to say he could create things. See, Satan, I'm the winner and you're the loser. No! He was forming a bridal. Bridal members for his son. God's into polygamy. But only God and Jesus. Man stole that from God. All the bridal members of Christ are many, but one king, one priest, one provider. You see? Satan always takes God's mandates and he confuses and he, and he perverts them and, and man starts multiplying them in his own way and it was not intended for him to touch. So you have some religions that say it's godly to have multiple wives. We have some leaders in the Bible that believe that. No, it was for Jesus. Then God, the patriarch, comes through and goes, I'll take that one, those three, because he's watching their every move and everything that proceeds out of their mouth is recorded in the book of life. He knows what they're going to do at 80, what they did at eight. Those three. Those two. One. Those five. And he picks according to his foreknowledge. He knows what sins these people are going to commit long before they commit them because he is an omnipresent God that knows all, past, present, and future. And the reason why John was able to be pulled up into the heavens and see the past, the present, and the future at one time and write a book about it is because that's how God sees life. He's not bound by a clock. He sees it all in one stretch. Oh, I can assure you John understood predestination when he got out of his heavenly state. Anyone who reads the book of Revelation understands, truly understands, at least takes a belief in predestination to believe this book. And if you don't believe in predestination, you're going to view the book of Revelation as symbolic. That's what's happened to the world of theology. So the bridal members are picked by God, the Father. He says to his son, soon and very soon you're going to have to go and pay the dowry. 
And son, I'm I'm afraid it's going to cost you your life. You see, Satan was the father and is the father of lies. Right? He is the one, the master, who enslaves everyone born into sin, which is everyone. And it takes someone to come and pay the price to that master to free the slave. So that's what Christ did. He reached in and he paid the dowry for all of the ones that God selected. So when Jesus came and started preaching the gospel, any one of his bridal members that were selected out, as soon as they hear the truth, they are attracted to him. And then when that, that, that song says, He touched me, oh, he... Well, that's exactly it. Soon as the groom touched you, you just melt because you know this is your moment to be picked as a bridal member. There are others he won't touch because God said, don't touch them. And they go to hell. I'm sorry. That's blunt terms, but they go to hell because God already knows they mock him unto death. See, we just can't see that in our finite minds because it's extremely difficult for us to nail down sovereignty and dominion and forever in the past and forever into the future. God certainly does. So in our final verse, we have war, which is a fight. The lamb is the gentleness of God. To overcome means to veil. So, for example, and there's a religion out there that veils their women. And to veil their women is actually translated out in, in uh, Arabic as to control your wife. So when you veil, you are controlling them. And that is actually a biblical definition. To control. Because, or to demonstrate... Supreme authority is what Lord means. It also means owner in the Hebrew. Lords is masters. And then king is sovereign controller like before. Kings is a, a different word, but has the same derivative, but it's foundations of power. Not foundation, but foundations of power. And being called is invited or appointed. And then chosen is to elect or to pick out your favorite, and that's God going, that's my favorite, that's those four my favorite, and it's very hand-selected. Favorites. And then you have faithful, which is trustworthy, or believe, and then at sum and the summary says this, the masters of destruction will start a fight with the gentle representative of God. And the gentle one will veil the face of the enemy. Demonstrate he is the supreme authority and controller over the masters of this world. And those who will be with him will be the invited appointed ones, the elected favored, who are trustworthy in belief. Our conclusion today is in the beginning God was the king of creation. He did not intend for any other king to serve as his representative outside of his son. When the people begged for a king, God gave them a weak and feeble one. This king became a lesson as to why God's people should not have any other king besides him, Jesus Christ. They still did not listen and yet demanded another. So God gave them a king that would be in the likeness of his heart. Even with this ideal representative, the world demanded another Saul, and God gives them their share of evil kings. In the end, God sends his true and honored representative as the king of kings to reset the world to its original system of patriarchy. That is the full loop of what we have been talking about with patriarchy.
Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events, and we will work to keep the focus on God, Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family-integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org. We thank you for joining us. Get yourself in a bind, lose a shirt off your back. Need a floor, need a couch, need a bus fare.